The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. I'm very excited about this week's Legion Clubhouse because it features one of the things that Matthew hates the most, being dropped into something media res. Justice League of America, number 147, Crisis in the 30th Century. Published October 1977, written by Paul Levitz with art by Dick Dillon. Synopsis, Mordrew is back, and the Legion must team with the heroes of two worlds to stop him. Uh, Matthew, this is probably one of the few times where the entire episode of Legion Clubhouse is going to be focusing on comics that don't have Legion, Legion in the comics. title. Yeah, it's actually kind of rare. And the way it the way it fell together in terms of the continuity, I was like, should we split those up? But according to official uh, all of the official continuities that I look at, and there are some differences, this story has to take place all at once. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, most definitely. It, yeah. It, it's a it's a two parter. Well, actually, it's technically a three parter. We are dropped in <laughs> right in the middle of a story, right at the end of the previous uh, episode. Was this JSA or Justice League uh, one forty six? I forget which one it was. But it's this... actually um, All Star Comics number sixty nine or ah. sixty eight rather is the first part of this story, featuring uh, the annual JLA JSA team up. Yeah, and so that part was already done. That was part one. Now we're mm-hmm. j- jumping into part two, which features uh, more Drew snatching members of the JLA and the JSA out of the past and taking them into the far flung future where future. suddenly Superman remembers everything because now he's traveled to the future. Exactly. He's in the future and his post hypnotic suggestion basically has worn off. But it's interesting. Uh, the JLA JSA summer crossover was actually a, a big event. It was one of oh, yeah. DC's regular things. And every summer, they would have it, and after a while, they kept having to try and top themselves. Because in the you know in '64, the first JLA JSA concept or crossover brought Earth Two into the forefront. It had already existed because of Jay Garrick, but it brought back the Justice Society. And then in '65, they created another Earth, Earth A. In '66, we had Earth One and Earth Two actually switch places, and everybody was going to die. Uh, 1972, they had a couple where it's just like JLA, JSA, 72, they went back in time, found the seven soldiers of victory. Then in 73, they added in Earth X, which was the characters from quality comics, Uncle Sam, Plastic Man, Blackhawk, and those guys. And then Earth Prime, the next year, where actually the villain, and you'll appreciate this because you've called him the villain in previous episodes, Mm -hmm. is Carrie Bates. Yeah, Carrie Bates is always the villain. Yeah, and then last year, as of this reading, 1976, they brought in Earth S, all of the characters from Fawcett comics. Mm-hmm. So 
they were trying to one-up the big JLA-JSA crossover. And the only way you can go bigger than an alternate Earth is an alternate Earth and the future. Well, I don't know if it's uh, necessarily an alternate Earth if the story is taking place on Earth 1, but it features characters from Earth 2. Yeah, well, you know, Earth 2 came first, so technically all Earth 1 stories are alternate Earth. Sure. Yeah, let's yeah. let's let's go with that. Yep. Uh, but but anyway, they fi- suddenly find themselves in the future and just you know, just one of these uh, long overdrawn explanations for about half the book <laughs> on what the heck is going on. Well, you understand that the psycho pirate had to be kidnapped thanks to our last adventure. And please explain to us why we had that last adventure because of what happens in that last adventure that you certainly read winking at the reader. And then they just keep explaining and explaining and explaining why yep. Mordrew has brought them to the future. I mean, literally, even though this feels like it's a, it feels like it's a big comic, even though it's probably uh, maybe just a little oversized because of the specialness of it, but this is actually uh, just like uh, Legion. Uh, Justice League is a double-sized giant title for sixty cents at this point. Yeah, and man, they spend about a third of it just explaining <laughs> and explaining. And oh, by the way, if five pages later you haven't figured out that Mordrew is looking for a silver wheel, a red oh. vase, and a green something or other, a green bell. Then uh, let us re-explain it to you one more time and also put some some uh, Legion members into some Legion members and some JSA members and some JLA members into Jeopardy. Well, I will say this about the endless, endless, endless exposition at this point in time. I mean, you got to fill pages. Right. But this is Justice League 147. The villains in this, Abnegazer, Wrath, and Gast, the other non-Mordru villains, haven't been seen since Justice League of America number 10. And if you've read that story, which I have, it's kind of an incoherent flibberty-jibberty mess. So explaining who these weird demons are that Mordru is trying to steal the power objects from makes sense. And if you're going into a book where, you know, if you're not a Legion reader and you're just reading Justice League... All of a sudden, there's these kids from the future who are like, we know you, Superman. I'm going we to you bet when you were a rotten kid. I'm going to bet that anybody reading Justice League of America knows who the Legion of Superheroes are only because they are in uh, action comics. And then they were also in Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, which, you know, some big popularity there. I'm going to bet Justice League of America readers know those know those characters and know those players it's possible i mean i know that when i read these stories i had no idea who anybody was but i also read them you know stripped covers in the early 80s when they were already you know 10 years out of date so i feel like this feels kind of like not just the crossover but also somebody's trying to get a bump. Now, whether that's a sales bump for JLA for a Legion crossover or a sales bump for Legion for being in the JLA title, I don't know. But I think that the fact that this is written by Paul Levitz, partly written, co-written by Paul Levitz, the regular Legion writer at this point, makes me think this may be JLA getting a bump from the Legion book, which is selling better. Yeah, we'd have to look, uh, see what the what the numbers are. On yeah. this particular issue to see, you know, how it's doing. Uh, part of my guess is, just like you said at the beginning, we have to continuously top ourselves. And, and for those yes. of you who want kind of a more modern day comparison, 
Uh, just look at the CW and all of the crossovers that they did over the last couple of years where, you know, first year it's, oh, yes, let's bring in Supergirl. And then the next year, oh, we got to top that. And then the year after that, we got to top that until finally we got this whole crisis on Infinite Earths uh, thing going on. And then everything just kind of collapses in on itself. And that's kind of what's going on here is that yeah. we are building and building and building upon readers expectations of what they know of some classic Golden Age heroes meeting the Silver Age counterparts and having wacky adventures in space and time. And this kind of plays out here. Um, yeah. this, I will say this, this is both of these books are super dense there. Yes. And, and we've talked about wall of text before in the past. And there are times when wall of text for me is a lot of fun, uh, especially if there's like worthwhile things that need to be said. Um, but sometimes wall of text can be just inundating and drag you down. And there were many times while reading the books uh, for this episode that I just felt like, oh my God. Why? Why does this have to be so long? Uh, th they're just repeating themselves and they're not explaining anything. They're not advancing the story. And so in this case, Wall of Text was, I, I think, a detriment to both of these issues as opposed to an enhancement to the issues. Uh, I think that at times there are some some clever bits in here, although I think is it Mordrew or Superman or somebody either called Mordrew dude or they were calling the 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 demons three dudes but just casually one of the one of the people just drop in oh and so this dude is here to take away this stuff and i'm like that's not that's not something these people would say they would not say dude i i can't think of a single maybe maybe green arrow would say dude i think green lantern might have in circa 77 i, I don't know i mean considering that he's a and hotshot pilot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, he might, um, you know, the military upbringing might be a little bit too much, even for keep in mind. He doesn't have a military upbringing in 77. Oh yeah, that's right. We have to retcon that with the introduction right, that, of the, um, uh, golden dawn or whatever that was. That's actually a, a retcon that I think was brought in by Jeff Johns, if I'm not mistaken, but I may be wrong, but no, at he this was point, definitely Hal Jordan is a truck driver. Ah, uh, okay. In his life, man, nah, maybe yeah. dude, but I would, I would probably say green arrow more than anyone else that appears in this book yes. would, would be a dude guy, but he's not the one that says, dude, I'm pretty sure it's Superman that says dude. And I'm like, that is not something Superman would say. Maybe the star spangled kid, but he's not actually a player. And, and he's 147 is a dense issue. There are 14 characters in play. Yeah. And only five of them are native to the Justice League. So there is a lot of explanation. But I find it interesting that this issue, out of everything we've read in the past however many years, is the first one to call out the fact that Sunboy and Wildfire basically have the same origin. And just in the middle of a panel, they're like, oh, these boys are as similar as the strange accidents that made them both nuclear dynamos. And I'm like... Holy crap, how did I not recognize that? It was quite entertaining. Somebody's going to get downplayed in the coming coming weeks and months. Yeah, and it's going to be Sunboy. Yeah, really? Dirk's going to go bye-bye? Uh, no, he's just not going to get a whole lot of it. I mean, he doesn't get a whole lot of play anyway. Sunboy's never been a super high-level guy. He's like Starboy. He pops up a lot. People's like, hey, he sure is a legionnaire. But can you think of one story that was absolutely about Sunboy that wasn't just, hey, Dr. Regulus is back. We have to kill him with a stick. Yeah, that one time that he went back into the past with uh, with the guy that would soon be the overseer of the Legion, you know, their minder. 
uh, that uh, that uh, that issue way back in Action Comics early days, <laughs> a million years ago. With that was Ultra name? Boy, by the way. Oh, was it Ultra Boy? Oh yeah, Marla right. Latham. Yeah. Okay, well then I guess I can't think of any Sun Boy issues. See, and that's kind of the part of it that's interesting. But this first issue also has an interesting moment for me that I hadn't remembered. Um, Black Canary, at this point, believes she is her mother. Because Black Canary is an original Golden Age character from 1947 who came to uh, Earth-1 in the 60s when it made sense that a woman could, you know, come to Earth-1 and be in her 30s. But by this point, we're getting into the 70s. By 1984, they're actually going to reveal that instead of coming to Earth-1, the Black Canary from 1947 was put in suspended animation and her daughter was sent to Earth-1 in her place with a memory implant to think she was Black Canary because by that point, there was like a 45-year gap in between the stories. So I was just sitting here and she's like, well, when I was in the Justice Society, I'm like, oh, yeah. At this point in time, Green Arrow is in a relationship with an older woman. Eh, that'll, that'll last five seconds and then they'll de-age her and she'll be 18 again. Sure, everybody is. But what's interesting about 147 to me is how much happens and how many of the things that happen kind of bother me. Batman outsmarts Brainiac 5. Not in this issue, though. He does in 147 because oh, is they're this on the one where everybody yeah the, this is the one where everybody dunks on the on the young kids yeah where they're they're on the planet and Batman is just like these kids don't get it he doesn't understand and well Batman has this beautiful idea he and Doctor Fate being old dudes come up with the plan to build a space scarecrow which is yeah that's amazing yeah, well and and he's he's not out thinking Brainiac Five he doesn't outsmart him he's just like. These kids don't understand this language that I speak, a scarecrow. But Superman does dunk on on wildfire uh, really hard, uh, where it's like, oh, we understand you're just a young, dumb kid. And wildfire wildfire has to fire back. Hey, Superman, you were once young and dumb, too. Yeah, you were a young, dumb kid a week ago for me. Um, But I think the best part for me of this whole thing is retrospect looking back and saying, okay, Mordru is the greatest threat ever in the known universe at this point. We keep saying it over and over. Mordru is this incredible threat, right? And he gets the power of the the bell, uh, the book, and the candle, the silver wheel of Neorlath, the red jar of Kalithos, and the green bell of Ulthul. Say it with me, everybody. And is these are super. I should say that these are super, super close names to Lovecraftian names. And I'm curious why they didn't, because right at this time, uh, certainly the Lovecraft mythos would have gotten its big regeneration. Its big boost was in the in the um, uh, mid to late 70s as, you know, the the Necronomicon starts to become popular in culture again. And so when we're talking about uh, Nyaroleth, that's very close to Narothotep. And then uh, the uh, Green Bell of Uthul could be easily the Green Bell of um, Uthar. And then the silver wheel, or I'm sorry, then the red jar of Caithus uh, could easily be, you know, some other uh, uh, Lovecraftian uh, mythos monster that I'm not yeah. thinking off the top of my head. But uh, it's very close to that. And that's that yes. I, f- I find very fascinating in this conversation that, yeah, we can just change a few letters because we don't want to make, I guess, the publishers of Lovecraft stuff at the time uh, angry. Uh, some of that stuff would have probably still been under a copyright. So, 
Well, they were created in 62, and I don't know if it was so much a question of copyright as it was a question of comics in the 60s and 70s knocked off a lot of things, and they would basically just, you know, file out the serial numbers, and all of a sudden it's not Zorro, it's El Castigo. It's Batman. And I feel like the Abnegazer, Wrath, and Gast thing, first of all, I have a really funny story about when I was a kid, but we'll get back to that. The Abnegazer, Wrath, and Gast thing is definitely designed to kind of call on the Cthulian mythos. But I think in 62, it was one of those things where you were expecting your readers to be eight-year-old kids. And I think they were doing something where we're going to call on a reference that these kids don't know. They're going to read this comic and think we're geniuses. And then if anybody points out to them, oh yeah, there's this guy, Howard Lovecraft, we'll just go, yes, it was an intentional reference as seen by the Nyarl Hotep. What I think is more fascinating in this in this piece, and this is probably more of a second issue question, because mm -hmm. the second issue is all about uh, the Demons 3, mm -hmm. uh, is the fact that we have real life demons, y'all, running around in a uh, Comic Code Authority comic book. Yeah, and, and like honest, deplete, old testament kind of demons. And they have a really disturbing aspect to all three of them. And I'm not exactly sure. I feel like this is another one of those situations where like in 73, Marvel had a headline character in his own title, whose actual superhero sobriquet is the son of Satan, right? The literal son of literal Satan. So you can get away with these sort of things weirdly enough in the silver age, because again, it's aimed at kids and it's, it's, you know, harmless references. So the Legion members and the JSA members go flying off into far reaches of space and they bring back mm -hmm. the silver wheel and they get the Proteans to change into little star people. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, go and they find a clay pot that's hidden in a secret dimension that only Jay Garrick can hold open when, he, when he's vibrating fast enough. Mm -hmm. And then Batman and uh, uh, which one is it? Oh, uh, Dr. Fate go and mm -hmm. carve an entire giant monster into a planet to scare yeah. off dragons because you can and then the, then they're rewarded with a green bell in return and then they come back and mordrew's like whoa ho, ho, i thought of all of this my on my own and then he uh unveils his plan to release the demons and get their powers and take over the world at which point they slap him down and we end with the demons ready to take over the world of the 31st century yeah we'll take a quick break and then come back and talk about the rest of this If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Justice League of America, number 148, Crisis in Triplicate. Published November 1977. Written by Paul Levitz with art by Dick Dillon. Synopsis. A race through time, space, and dimension to defeat a sorceress alliance. There, was that fast enough of a break for you? Oh, it's now part three. <laughs> part three. Part three of two. Crisis in triplicate. Nineteen heroes against three villains so powerful that I guess it takes 19 heroes. Well, I mean, at this point, how many people are in the Legion and where, where are they all at? Why are they not all featured in this in this crossover? 
Well, there are 22 or 23 members of the Legion, but remember, there's also 13 members of the Justice League and somewhere between 6 and 15 members of the Justice Society at this point. So if you brought everybody in, this book would be utter chaos. Not that's that kind of what this ready. that's what this book is, really. I mean, and for both issues, I'll, I'll say this. The art is pretty. Uh, I like the panel layouts. Most of it keeps to a four panel grid, uh, right. which is nice. Uh, but it's just stacked with so much verbiage that it's hard to see the little tiny figures punching a giant spectral uh, body of Mordrew, which if he's a ghost, how are they punching him? Magics. Superman well, doesn't this, have magics. Superman can punch ghosts, though. He can't. This issue is actually one of the interesting ones, uh, both of them, 147 from last, uh, the beginning of this episode, and 148 were drawn by Dick Dillon, mm -hmm. whose basic claim to fame is he took over Justice League of America in 1968 and drew it until he died in 1980. So he's basically the artist on Justice League throughout the entirety of the Bronze Age. And it's interesting to really see the characters of the Legion drawn in the Dick Dillon style, because there are a few things about Dick Dillon that you can always see in his books, like characters with big eyes have huge eyes and characters with like prominent chins. If you look at Lightning Lad in his first appearance in 148, prominent chin, you could cut glass with Lightning Lad's chin. But most importantly, the man could not draw Superman's chest symbol to save his life. I'm not sure you would be able to see all the symbols on people in this <laughs> issue anyway, because of how much stuff is being packed into every panel. There's um, 19 so, main characters, two yeah. of which are green lanterns. I mean, some of these guys have the same powers. Mm -hmm. You get your sun boy, you get your, you know, princess projector, you get your wildfire somehow shadow lass and lightning lad just show up. In yep. 140. I mean, that's what happens. You can just have anybody appear. I mean, no one's paying any attention into this book, I especially in the fact <laughs> that, you know, the ghost of Mordru's uh, unconscious body is falling mm -hmm. to earth or something, and it's going to go sucked into a giant funnel uh, where his body is being kept under the ground somewhere, because that's the only way you can take away Mordru's powers is right. to uh, entomb him uh, so he can't get out. Weirdly, 148 actually creates a little continuity thing that I don't know if there's an answer for, because it talks about when they put Mordrew back in his chamber, it's not the same place we saw Mordrew in Legion of Superheroes when he was last locked away. And the story references an untold tale where the Legion fights and beats Mordrew. And I can't for the life of me find the story where that if if that story even actually exists. And I'm sitting here wondering, is this something cool? Is this like an Easter egg for an unseen story that Levitz had in mind? Or did somebody mess up and realize after the fact that they messed up and have to write in the letter to the the little editor's note to explain for the continuity goobers what happened? I, I like to think it's the second one. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure people are just writing stuff and, you know, Paul Levitz, I don't think has done a Mordrew issue yet I at this point. Think so it could just be so? his, his growing ignorance of all things Legion, uh, as he well, continues to write this stuff and people have to keep pulling him inside and say, Hey man, did you know that Mordrew wasn't really buried here? And he's like, what? Ah, oh, crap. Somebody put in an editor's box. It's Levitz. And I believe Carrie Bates is doing some co-writing. Oh, Carrie Bates. Yeah, I know you hate Carrie Bates. No, I don't but hate Carrie Bates. You mock Carrie Bates. I, I mean, mock it's Carrie Bates like, a lot. Doesn't mean I hate him. 
It's not like the terrible things you say about Joe, Joe Siegel, Jerry Siegel. Yes. Uh, yes, he is. He is bad and he should feel bad. Um, so here's the thing. Mordrew's out and the demons have decided, well, uh, we are going to now take over. Uh, we're not going to give Mordrew our power. And so one of the demons wants to embrace all man, mankind and, and Mm. be one with them. Another one's like, no, I'm going to rake these guys back to the stone age and I'm going to rule the world. And the other one's like, um, I forget what he's going to do, but he's going to do something he's dumb as well. Steal all the resources. Oh, that's right. And enrich himself, basically. And the demons three basically are now fighting one another. Oh, except that they're all the demons with the exact same power. So how are right? they going to defeat each other if they're all equally strong? Obviously, they're going to have to use some sort of go between. Oh, Say like a proxy, huh? Oh, some superheroes that are just scattered around here. Yeah. Yeah, sure enough. Now we have a big fight between all the powers who are being controlled and everybody has to outsmart another. And I will say this. If you are looking for two issues in a three part story that are nothing but fighting, 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 then this is the event for you. Yeah, there is a lot of fighty, fighty. And to some degree, it feels like who'd win specifically because you see Power Girl punching at Superman you see the Green Lanterns going head to head. It's kind of refreshing in a way, because in a to modern see heroes story, fighting each other. Have you not read a modern comic book? That's the thing, though. In the modern comics, they do all these wild and crazy, you know, wacky inversions to say, "Oh, well, this is clearly what's happening, and there's some sort of deep philosophical meaning behind the Civil War, and this is just nah, mind control. They're going to fight now." I, I like that. I like the the innocence to me, just the straightforward mind control. They're going to fight. I like the fact that these are ridiculously powerful characters. Dr. Fate, two Kryptonians, a Green Lantern of magic and a Green Lantern of space, a living nuclear dynamo, Superman. He's in here twice, you know, and then, of course, you have Batman running around because why not? There's a lot of fighty fighty in 148. Probably more than I wanted, but also I feel like that's kind of the point of the JLA JSA crossover. It's certainly a lot of filler space if you're trying to fill these double-sized issues. That's true. It's 40 pages. Got to have something. There is a bigger story that we haven't talked about, and I want to address it before one of our great listeners uh, tweets to us. Mm -hmm. And that is the real story of what these two issues are talking about. (laughs) At some point... At some point Mm -hmm. between 1977 and the year 2077 or 2377, 2977, 2736 million divided uh, by five, the soul justice league satellite of love is destroyed. Yep. And no one, no one knows what happened. And it's because of the satellite blowing up. That's how the three pieces of, a uh, demon uh, lore got scattered across the universe and people had to go and find them in the future. But by the end of this issue, who is it? Is it uh, Dr. Fate Green that Arrow. does it? Oh, Green Arrow does it. They call forth pieces of space debris from time and space, and it all comes oh. colliding together and traps, traps the demons three into the Justice League satellite. So this is about how the Justice League satellite came, came back. In the year 2977. Yeah. And it, 
the interesting thing about it is that it's it's written so quickly that you almost don't catch it. Mm-hmm. It's actually only one of the demons three because in a panel in the previous page, two of the other ones destroyed each other. But it goes so fast that you're like, oh, yeah, right. But the explosion of the Justice League satellite is also never explained. No, no. I mean, that's the whole point, right? At the end of the issue, Green Arrow is like, hey, I wonder why the satellite exploded. And Green Lantern is like, I don't know. I'm going to wipe your mind, so we'll forget about it. Bye. Yeah, which is weird (laughs) that, that Green Lantern is wiping everyone's memories. Yes. Because that really should be the the Legion members duties to make sure that those heroes have their minds wiped and that the heroes need to accept that. Technically, there's no reason to wipe anyone's mind going back to the past. They really weren't around. I mean, two thirds of this entire story feature green arrow trapped in an hourglass. So he's not getting a good look around at technology. (laughs) He's like the last person you have to worry about going back to the past and telling everybody about microwaves and, and uh, YouTube and stuff. Yes, but knowing about the destruction of the satellite and not knowing when it happens could potentially be dangerous for him because the spoilers, the explosion of the satellite happens in 1986, which this being 1977 comic book sliding timescale is about seven minutes ahead of Green Arrow. So knowing that the satellite might explode could lead to problems for the Justice League. Yeah. Theoretically. I mean, theoretically, I mean. They're all coming back. Well, sure. But I mean, even the satellite, even the satellite doesn't stay down. They blew it up and then they brought it back in this issue. My goodness gracious. You know, Um, here's the thing. You can't read a book with that in mind. You can't say, well, he's dead, but he's not going to stay dead. Well, what's the point of reading the book? You know that he's not going to stay dead. You know that Mordru's not going to change, but also Um, it's half the fun. I suppose. Uh, I. I appreciated both of these books for what they were, but I got to tell you in the end, they're very dry. They're very, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fluff that's going on in these, in these books to prop them up to a higher page count. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe these are things that probably shouldn't have had higher pages without some, more editorial control and some more direction from uh, the uppers at uh, at DC Comics to come back and say, hey, can we clean this up and make it a little bit more coherent and not so jumpy all over the place? And, you know, just there's a, so much going on in these books that is just overwhelming. And uh, as I said in the previous segment, just a wall of text washing over you and just dragging you down to the bottom of the ocean. Oh, I agree. And, I, you know, we've seen that. Starting to happen with Legion, we are seeing that the giant size issues that weren't, you know, written as two separate issues do feel like they're padded because it feels like they're still writing 20 pages worth of story. And now they have 40 pages to fill. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm glad that these are two giant issues because having 15, 16, 19 characters from two different Earths, two different timelines, three different teams did require a lot of stuff. And, you know, I will say this for Levitz. There were, your wall of text is a valid criticism, but Green Arrow's synopsis of the previous parts of the story in this issue is one page. It's clean, it's yes. concise, and it's yes. over. It's yes. beautiful. Yes, that is, that is the one redeeming thing in this, uh, in this uh, mess, is that the second recap 
is yep. more concise. Yep. And you get to a point where you do get to see lesser characters in the spotlight. Black Canary is the one who comes up with the plan to save the day. You know, Dr. Fate is the major power behind this plan. You get to see things, you know, with a little bit of Lightning Lad and Shadow Last that we haven't seen in a while in the Legion. So I feel like the JLA JSA crossover specifically are designed to kind of give you a little bit of airtime for characters who might not necessarily get it. And, you know, that's fun. That's fine. This doesn't have wonder woman or barry allen flash in it it doesn't have everybody from the justice society it doesn't have your highest profile legionnaires except in as much as you count you know wildfire and superboy so i kind of like what it does but this is very much a comic from 1977 now that said i feel like this overall two comic set may be the strongest episode of legion clubhouse we've had in a month or two because we've been getting to a point where we had one really bad comic and one okay comic and then one incredibly racist comic and one sort of racist comic and we finally gotten to the point where it's like hey two books that are pretty okay i suppose yeah we can we can say that they're pretty okay yep and interestingly um you know once we get to the point that we get to the point this is going to be about 175 episodes down the line Batman, post-crisis in action comics, tells Superman that he remembers this story because Batman remembers meeting three different versions of the Legion. He meets this Legion fighting Mordru. He meets the second reboot Legion, the Archie Legion, uh, fighting the final night. Mm -hmm. And then he meets the third Legion, the WKRP Legion, during early issues of Brave and the Bold. So he flat out tells Superman you may not realize this, but your past is changing and there are multiple versions of your past in play. And I do like the fact that these comics from 77 are still referenced even in, I don't know if that's a pretty modern context. That's like 2013, 2014. Well, so and, nice. I, and if you're talking yeah. about the, um, uh, the, what was it? The three legions storyline Superman and the Legion of uh, superheroes that came after Legion of Three Worlds after oh, okay. Crisis. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, we only saw Green Lantern brainwashing uh, Green Arrow. Didn't see him <laughs> do it to Batman, so it would make no perfect sense that Batman, Batman is going to, to remember these things. Brainwashing Batman is impossible. You cannot brainwash Batman. That wraps it up for another installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you so much for checking us out this week. Matthew, what have we learned? We learned that all the flight rings and alien powers in the world are nothing compared to the power of a good old boxing glove arrow. Also, demons! Demons! And that even a demon can't trust a demon. Thank you so much for checking us out this time. We will be back with another episode very soon. In the meantime, I am, uh, you know, get, get thee to the church, lad. And I am the son of Santa. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. 
Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Stephen Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Stephen at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. But actually, my Abnegazer Wrath and Gas story is really stupid, and I want to tell you this now. Do you know anything about the Bible? I, I know a few things about the Bible. Okay, so you know how there's those three dudes who nearly burned to death but didn't burn to death because of the power of God? I mean, there's a lot Shadrach, of people like that. Sure, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, yeah, Mo, Larry, and Curly. Yeah, Larry, Mo, and Curly. Um, when I was maybe nine or ten, I had read this comic. And somebody asked me in Sunday school about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I guessed that their names were Abnegazer, Wrath, and Gast. Now, these are the names of demons. Yeah, you probably shouldn't be yelling names of demons multiple times. Yeah, that's the thing. You have to say it three times, but, uh, you know, like the, like the seaman. But I, I'm still not sure if the response Colonel that Sanders? I got was that I was dumb or that somebody knew that those were the names of demons. Either way, I did not get to go back to, to Sunday school that year. And so that's why, my friends, never yell the names of demons when you're in Sunday school. The more you know.